if you have a family-owned business, I think you should all work very hard to sell that whole business to someone outside of the family and just all ride off rich into the sunset. Exactly. Welcome to Mastering Your Exit Strategy. I'm your host, Christine Trumbull, a certified exit planning advisor, CPA, and certified tax strategist. I've spent the last 30 years working with owners to grow and scale their businesses, and then went on to help my own husband grow his. After his passing, I moved to the next chapter, ensuring seamless transitions for family-owned and closely held businesses. Each week, we're talking to experts about growth and transition, so you can not only simplify exiting your business, but also get as much wealth out of your business as possible. Thanks for joining me and let's get started. Hi again, this is Christine Trumbull with Mastering Your Exit Strategy. And today I'm speaking with Sandra Finch. Sandra is the owner of Finch CPA Firm and Finch Exit Strategies in Houston, Texas. She has over 35 years of experience in tax strategies and most recently tax leveraged sales and deal strategies. And she's also the author of 50 Ways to Leave Your Business. This is a fantastic, I was talking to her about this before we hit the recording first and foremost. Thank you for joining me, Sandra. Thank you for having me, Christine. We've been geeking out over tax strategies. Um, because we're both CPAs and, and as we were mentioning, we have our own little code and we do, but if you are, um, if you are a business owner, um, I would think you are, if you're listening to the podcast, you need to read this book because it is organized and written in a way that is easily digestible. Um, it can be a quick read. And it can be, um, it can be like a, the way she's organized it, it can be like a resource guide. So I really, really am very grateful for you joining us today, Sandra. Thank you very much for, for taking some time with me. Absolutely. So let's, let's just dive in. Uh, you are a CEPA and a CPA, um, but, and, and we're going to talk about exit and a lot about um, how to exit while saving tax dollars. But let's start off with what is the smartest thing that a business owner can do in the leading five to seven years before they sell their business? Well, the smartest thing they can do is make a plan. Um, they need to know where they are right now. And uh, the, the second smartest thing they can do after they've made that plan is to start building the balance sheet that they have outside of the business. A lot of people are all about, well, my net worth is $5 million and 4.9 million of that is what I believe my business is worth. And the problem with that is that A, the business may not really be worth that much. Uh, B, if you haven't de-risked to the business, you, you, you may not retain that value until you are ready to retire. And see, you, what you'd never want to do is wait until there's some sort of sickness in order to start planning. And that could be that you, the owner, get sick or the economy gets sick or your industry gets sick. I mean, imagine if you were Fuji Films in 2001. Yeah. You had it made, right? There's, yeah. Everyone needed film. Everybody needed film development. 
And then nobody needed any of that. And yeah. so you never know what could happen to your actual industry, even even CPAs. I mean, they could they could make a flat tax tomorrow and then half of our industry would be gone. So I just I think you should have a plan and I think you should not think of the business as the value. I think you should start pulling money away from that business and putting it in your own name mm-hmm. and building your own net worth outside of the business. And then if the business is worth a lot, great. Right. But yeah, because I mean, a lot of people are going to hold, I mean, a lot of people hold on to their businesses for an extended period of time. And while they're, you know, while they're growing and, and, you know, building that value and that's fantastic. And that's what I do all day, every day. But the longer you hold on to that business, the more risk is associated with, with holding on that business for exactly what you said, industry changes, the economy changes. Can you say pandemic? (laughs) So um, let's get right to taxes and money. So what is the most that you most in taxes that you've saved owner and owner, and then how, what was the strategy that you used to do that? So the most, I believe I saved someone was, uh, probably 1.5 million in taxes. That's not small. (laughs) Uh, On about a three to $5 million business based on our valuation at the time. That's a pretty significant chunk. And we actually did that. Um, it was weird how we did it. it we, we ended up, it, this was a multi-generational company. Mm-hmm. In the book, I believe it's, um, I can't remember, way number 29 or something. It's on, it's on page 119. Okay. Uh, but it's, uh, it's way number 31. So what we did was a combo gifting and retirement plan. So we, okay. had, we had a business that the owners were already in their 60s. Had no retirement. They had an S corporation and with million dollar K ones, and they were paying lots of income taxes every year. The kids wanted the business. They were pushing 40, three kids. They didn't want to pay anything. A lot of these kids today don't want to buy any, they don't want to pay anything for the business. Even if they did, they'd be paying it with after tax dollars Mm -hmm. to their parents who would be paying tax on those dollars. Right. None of that makes sense to me. And in the meantime, they probably borrow it and pay a bunch of money to a bank in interest. Right. All wasted dollars, in my opinion. So yes. what we did was in the five uh, five to eight year lead up to the to them retiring was we put in a an aggressive retirement plan, a threefold retirement plan. And what we ended up doing was put away the maximum amount of dollars every year for mom and pop, which uh, we also converted to a C corp. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, we gifted a little bit of the stock every year to the kids, never more than 49% until we get this complete payoff going on. Right. But over that period of time, we accumulated three and a half to $4 million of money for mom and dad to retire on, which they had had nothing. Mm-hmm. And we saved $1.5 million in income taxes. That's and then the kids uh, were able to take over the company and sail off into the sunset without coming up with a dime, which, you know, some people may not agree with, but it is what it is. They don't want to, they don't have the money or want to pay for it. So right. probably the and biggest point. Yeah. I mean, I, I will never agree with, um, you know, uh, uh, kids not buying the business from the family, but just because I don't agree with it doesn't necessarily mean that my clients are always going to go with that. <laughs> because. Right. Very, very often, that is exactly the parents and the kids' goal is to eventually just give it to the kids 
or they mm-hmm. inherit upon death or whatever. It just tra- naturally transfers to the kids. Um, so what, you know, just because I don't like it doesn't mean they're not going to do it. Uh, so that, that was, that's a fantastic, but again, by doing that, you still have, you know, you can still end up with taxable consequences and how do you end up with, you know, mom and dad's retirement? That's brilliant. I love it. I love it. Um, so what is a little known strategy for tax for saving tax dollars during sale? Probably a really little known one is um, is personal goodwill. Okay. Um, so, and this this comes up big time if you have a C corporation, which there are a lot of reasons you'll find in the book, or we may talk about it a little while about why I like C corporations so much. Mm-hmm. I think it sets you up really nicely for what's called a twelve hundred two exclusion. We can talk about that. Yep. Uh, but the in this case. Uh, if you have a C corporation, everybody knows C corporations are famous for double taxation, which means the company, if it sells its client lists or whatever its its assets or goodwill, mm-hmm. then uh, that company will pay its corporate tax at 21% flat rate these days, which is nice. But then it turns around and it takes those millions of dollars or whatever, and it has to get it to the shareholder who's going to pay capital gains tax on it again at right. 20%. So that's not really nice. We don't want to pay 41% tax on things most of the time. Yeah. So uh, in this case, though, we can say in some cases, well, you know, the business might be worth $3 million, $5 million or something. But, you know, let's just say half of that is because the business is me. Everybody knows that the business is me and that I'm the one that makes it worth that much money. Without me, it's not worth that much. Well, in that case, you bifurcate the contract. And you say three million or two million or whatever is going to go to the company, and maybe that part would be double taxed, but the other part is going to come directly to me. And there is actually two checks at closing that happen there, and so the personal goodwill gets bifurcated out to the individual who owns the individual, going straight to the ten forty tax return, mm-hmm. and then the rest of it ends up in the eleven twenty, and it, it may get double taxed, or you may. You may find a way to, there's a few ways to bleed that off over time too, that doesn't cost so much money. Right. So, and, and let me step back for a second. I love the way um, you, I, I hope, my goodness, I hope it was you. <laughs> I was reading three different things this morning, <laughs> but um, I, I think it was in, in the in the book that you recommend reviewing entity structure every four years. And, yes. and, and I love that because most uh, business owners, no, I don't, I've never heard of a business owner reviewing an entity structure unless there was some mitigating, real mitigating immediate circumstance. And I've certainly never come across an accountant or CPA who have ever actually recommended reviewing the entity structure, much less doing it every four years. Um, g- touch on that for just a second, if you don't mind. Well, you know, definitely uh, once the Tax uh, Act of 2017 came out, the TCJA, when they did, you know, revert to uh, a flat tax, the first time ever flat tax for C corporations at 21%, we came up with a 26-point checklist of questions and answers to determine how many of our S corporations should remain C corporations or should convert to C corporations or remain as an S. At the same time, we had a few C corporations that actually went to an S also for the same act because of the um, 
there's a new section 199 capital A mm -hmm. that S corporation owners get that C corporations don't. And it has a lot to do with how much money do you typically leave in the business mm -hmm. to be taxed? If you can't get it out, what good is it to be taxed via a K-1 as an S corporation owner? So, um, so really that's kind of where that came from. So we, we stopped and we did everybody then, and then, you know, that law is going to sunset at eight years. Mm -hmm. uh, but in between all that, there's to me and probably to you as a practicing ex, a recovering CPA, as you call yourself, you've seen that there's sort of a hierarchy. If we start as maybe an LLC disregarded entity, then we get a little bigger and we go to an S corporation and we want to take advantage of some FICA tax savings. And then we start making enough money. There's no advantage there anymore. And we become, we become, I think C Corp is the is the ultimate high level accrual based, right. you know, do everything that way. Right. And so, you know, to me, if you aren't analyzing what advantages, you know, I ask people when they first come in the door at Finch CPA firm, why are you an S corporation? And a lot of them can't even tell me why they're an S corporation. Because my accountant or my attorney told me to. Yes. Isn't that the best thing? Well, if it was the best thing for everyone, everyone would be one. I mean, it's not a one size fits all thing. So, right. so we stop, we do the last two clients that came in at Finch DPA firm, we did an engaged entity uh, analysis before we took them on. Mm -hmm. just to give them some advice on how to move forward would be, would be best for them. Because in both of those cases, we had three owners taking home million dollar K ones and paying themselves $56,000 in salary or something like that. Some tiny little salary that the IRS would consider unreasonable. In that right. Case. Right. Uh, and so, uh, and, and then, you know, you get to participate in a lot better retirement benefits if your salary is higher. So it's a whole package deal. It's an entity slash retirement. Uh, I'm also a CFP. I'm a certified financial planner. So I really want to see the whole picture of, of how their money is working personally. I don't, right. I don't care about the business money so much as I am about the personal money. So okay. I'm like, do you even want a $58,000 salary? You know, you work 80 hours a week. Would you really, is that really what you think you should be getting? Um, and so, you know, we talk about um, value, you know, right. what is the value here? If you, if you get up every morning as a business owner and you, I got to feed the beast. I got to feed the beast. I've got to keep putting money back into this business. If it makes more money, I've got to put more, I got to put it in the business. I can't take it. I got to put it in the business. And I've got to use it to hire new employees and I've got to use it for marketing. I've got to use it. Everything ends up being about the business. And that is, that is what makes business owners exhausted and burned out. Yeah. I want them to see some money coming out to themselves. And right. About that. Right. So um, is speaking of entity structure and tax advantages based on which type of entity structure, there's um, probably a better known um, uh, technique uh, with the 1202, uh, Section 1202 structure. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, Section 1202 is uh, an exemption. It's, it's kind of, there's several things you can get for being a qualified small business. And so, but a 1202 exclusion is if you, if you formed your business after 2010 and you made it a C-Corp from the get-go, 
you can't do this later. You have to do it from the beginning. Even if it's an LLC, you have to elect C-Corp from the beginning. And then if you held it for five years in a day, uh, if you were an original owner, and then there's a couple of more obscure rules that usually don't apply to people, like it had to be under a $50 million uh, right. setup in the first place, something like that. Right. If, you can, if you can satisfy five or six things in that case, then the sale of your business can be completely exempted from capital gains tax, completely, up to $10 million. Okay. And so, so that's something that I hope you like reverse rewind and listen to that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please read, listen to that again or Google it because uh, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. It's, but you have to be a C Corp. And so a lot of people don't understand that if they, you know, if they're a C Corp, uh, you know, they, there's a lot of things they don't like about being a C Corp. Like if you have a loss in the first couple of years, like a lot of businesses do, you can't deduct that on your personal tax return. It just sort of sits there until there's a profit to put with it. Right. And it also can can have an instance of double taxation where the company pays tax. And then when the when you take the money out, if you're not watching that carefully, you don't have an advisor to help you with that, you can pay double tax. Right. But if your goal is to sell the thing in five years in a day or more than that for $10 million and you want to sell off it, and you got to sell the stock if you do that. Can't sell right. the assets, right. you got to sell the stock. And not everybody wants to buy stock. So right. there's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts about it. But um, I did one last year and it was really nice to just take that $10 million right off the top on the tax yeah. return. I just oh, yeah. tracked it out. Right. Now, and there are, there are um, a couple of techniques uh, to get around the concept of um, selling stock versus selling assets and who prefers which and usually, you know, and all of that. But um, what about the 338H10? Now, now, yes, now we're speaking code. Now we're speaking code. The 338H10 is, or sometimes just called the H10. Um, so buyers want to buy assets. They don't want a stock purchase. They because if you buy purchase stock, you don't you can't write it off. You can't do anything but hold on to it just like if you bought Exxon stock. Nothing that doesn't matter what you paid for it until you sell it. Right. So, but if you buy the assets of a business, if you start your own company over here and you buy the guts of my business out of it, then you get to write off all these assets. If they're hard and fixed assets, you can write them off up to a million dollars right off the bat uh, in a lot of cases. Uh, and more than that, if you go to bonus depreciation. And then the goodwill, you still get to write off anything that's blue sky or goodwill. For It's a slow write-off. It's over 15 years, but it's still a write-off. Right. Whereas as the seller, I want to sell you my stock because every time you buy something from me that was depreciated, I've got to take that back in as ordinary income. I deducted an ordinary depreciation expense. Therefore, I have to eat that now. Right. And that can get, that's 37% maximum tax compared to 20% maximum tax on the capital gains portion, yep. which I would apply to goodwill. Right. So I, I the, the sellers want to sell stock and buyers want to buy assets. So, but there's a whole nother reason for someone to want to buy stock. If, if I want to buy, if, if you have a company and it's going, it's making lots of money, it's got vendor contracts and customer contracts, it's got a name in the world, it's got a website, it's got a tax ID number, 
I do not want to disrupt any of that when I buy your company. I want it to keep ginning and making money. And so I want that continuity. So in that case, I would have to buy your stock. But I can file an election with the IRS that says, I'm filing under Section 338 H10. I'm buying the stock, but I'm going to pretend I bought the assets. Now, if I do that, you have to pretend you sold the assets. Well, that's going to cost you. And so a lot of times as a deal person, I get hired on either or both sides to calculate the tax true up between those two things where I would say, oh, wow, Christine's my client. And if she had sold you just the stock and you didn't do the H10, then, you know, she's now going to have to pay another $400,000 in income taxes because you did that. And so you need to sweeten the deal and you need to give her 400,000 more on top of the price that you were. And they may say, okay, fine. Cause we're writing it all off and we're going to get a huge tax deduction. Yep. And so, but that is um, an agreement that gets made early on, hopefully in the LOI stage, but not always. Sometimes it's the last add on because they, they don't think of it till then. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it can be trued up uh, to where you, you might eat some tax, but you're not really because you're going to be reimbursed by the market. Right, right. So I loved this one concept. Um, I had not heard of this one um, called the Texas shootout. Uh, I've seen the consequences. <laughs> I've just never heard it called the Texas shootout before. Talk to me about that. Because so a Texas shootout is a clause that you put in a buy-sell agreement. So, mm-hmm. and it's only for people who own 50% uh, each of a business. Well, I don't know if it's only, but I, I don't know why you would need it if you didn't. So well, maybe um, a third, a third, and a third. It could be. Oh, yeah. It's I, equal it, it, ownership. It, yeah. equal. And, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I see too many people doing that. And if you don't have this clause in here, you know what people sooner or later every single partnership ends one way or the other every partnership ends and, if and you're usually 50, badly yeah <laughs> usually very badly and if you're equal ownership who makes the decisions and how is that going to help you so that's why i absolutely love this 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 clause is fantastic so I'm, yeah I'm, it just uh, it equalizes everything because if I'm offering, if I say, I, you know, you should buy me out for $150,000 or $150 million, that's the same offer I have to accept if you decide you would rather buy me out. And so um, the value of the business stops being an issue. The question just is who's staying and who's going. And right. um, so, yeah, I have not seen a Texas shootout in action. I've only seen the ones that didn't have one. Yeah. That that's exactly what I've seen. But I now that I know about it, I'll be I'll be thinking I'll be keeping it in my back pocket. Thank you. <laughs> um, what about? Do you want to talk about a managed buyout? Well, um, if it's the chapter that we were referring to before, it's uh, I think that chapter is is just about management uh, and and them buying you. Oh, out. management. I'm sorry. Yes, management yes. buyout. Or buy in. Or buy in. And, yeah. and I like um, I like either idea where the management can buy you out or buy in. We've done several of these a lot of different ways. Like there's never an exit that is like the other exits. They're right. also unique. Yeah. Um, I, but um, one thing that, that uh, I say in this chapter is that 
I've gotten, you know, all these calls over the years and, and you have too, where they're just like, you know, John is a great manager and he is so good that I want to give him 10% of the stock because mm-hmm. I want him to have some skin in the game. And I mm-hmm. say, you can't give somebody skin in the game. The whole definition of skin in the game is that you put your own skin in the game. Somebody can't put it in there for you because you don't feel the heat. Right. And, and what they're trying to do in that case is they're trying to take an employee and make them uh, someone with an entrepreneurial mindset, mm-hmm. which you can't do. Right. People either have an entrepreneurial mindset or not. And if they do, they probably didn't work for you very long. Right. Exactly. Two years. Exactly. <laughs> You're very correct. Yes. Yeah. And so, but what I do like is the idea of maybe, um, you know, talking to John about giving him one or 2% of the stock. Mm -hmm. And then over the years, you know, the company could buy out the owner Mm -hmm. uh, as a redemption, a redemption of stock. And every time the owner owns less percentage, well, then John will own more of the percentage. As long as this puts my my seller, my owner, I'm always worried about the owner mm-hmm. in a good place to retire. Right. Just like that, that thing with the multi-generational thing. I want to make sure that this person as a CFP for sure, I want to make sure they have enough to retire. And that's part of what a transition plan does is it says, what is that magic number I need to retire? Right. Uh, that's the, one of the first gaps that's determined is what is, what is that piece that I, I don't have. Mm-hmm. And so I want to make sure we satisfy that. And then mm-hmm. as long as we're doing that, then I don't care if John ends up owning the whole thing. If he's not an entrepreneur, he's probably going to run it into the ground and right. you're not going to get any more out of him anyway. Right. Um, and from what I've seen, John doesn't usually have the money to borrow or beg or he, you'll finance it. The owner will finance it. And then may probably, you know, you may not get another dime after you walk out the door as the owner. So I just want to make sure that we do um, management. If management's going to buy in and then, uh, and then there's a buyout, I just want to make sure I take care of my owner. I'm always right. trying to take care of my owner. Right. And there are ways to set that up with, you know, uh, you know, uh, commissions, incentives, uh, bonuses tied to growth and increases in revenue and cash going to the owner and ownership going to to the to the employee or, or whatever. So, right. Um, it and it ought a, to be, a, but it ought to be earned. Uh, absolutely. Yes. As you're saying, it's something that goes on a W-2. I earned right. a $50,000 bonus, but I didn't get it. It went on my W-2 as a buy-in to the right. stock. Right. But there's a, there's a performance associated with it. Absolutely. absolutely. And money going to <laughs> the owner into his retirement accounts. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. And that incentive, that commission is, is, you know, maybe he's getting 10% of it, but the other 90 is going to the business and then to the owner too. Exactly. So yeah. it's all tied into taking care of Right. Right. So I like also that you address not only gains, but also potential losses or even um, the uh, um, selling a business at the wrong value. Uh, and you had a very uh, sad story, um, unfortunately, not uncommon story about a mom and pop electrician. Um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you remember that one? Yeah, uh, it's close to the end of the book. I think the last, the last uh, nine or ten ways are ways not the bad yeah. ways to, sell, to do because I've seen a lot more of those probably than good ways. Um, yeah. 
But uh, yeah, that that was a sad situation because dad was already sick um, and he was a licensed electrician and his top employee was not a licensed electrician. But for some reason, they really wanted him to be the one to buy the business. And, and yet they were going to sell or finance the entire thing. And, and yes, they lowballed the value of the business. Mm-hmm. And when I said, why would you think this business was only worth, you know, whatever, 100 $50,000 or something. They said, well, that's just all he would agree to pay. And, you know, I'm like, well, you know, you could sell this to another party who would keep him on as an employee, which sounds like is where he's best used. Mm-hmm. Well, but he's been here a long time and he's been loyal and he's been this. And so a loyal employee, a, a trusted advisor, a wonderful son or daughter might not be your best buyer. Right. And, and your best buyer is the one that's going to pay you, that gets you the most money after taxes. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything else is, is sentiment. Um, yeah. I'll say, I say three or four times in the book, if you have a family-owned business, I think you should all work very hard to sell that whole business to someone outside of the family and just all ride off rich into the sunset. Exactly. Yes. 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 It, it, it works out so much better <laughs> for everybody and what a, can you think about that as a goal you've got a 5 10 15 year i don't care how long the goal is you're all looking to sell to somebody else mm-hmm. otherwise you've almost got conflicts of interest going on every day in that business oh it's not an almost it's a definite <laughs> it's oh yeah conflict. it's you can't help it you just can't help it because at that point you have individual agendas. Everybody has their own agenda. And at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, mom and dad who are going to be eating cat food in their retirement. (laughs) And I've gotten calls from the 40 year old next generation going, do we have to keep mom and dad on the payroll for three more years? You know, they don't even come in anymore. I'm Uh like, do you know what they did to build this business that you're actually getting gifted to you? Right. Uh, you know, it, it, I'm sorry you don't see them as valuable or doing anything, but but that's where it's going to come down to. And if that's not at that point, I have to say things like I have a conflict on who calls me. Yeah. Now I have clients. I have to stay with the people who own the majority of the business. Right. And, and I've been accused of having, you know, allegiance to one side or the other. And, and I said, you're right. I do. It's I have allegiance to one side and that's how it has to be. Right. And, 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 and it, when you get into that whole family scenario, it's so, I mean, it's so emotional. There's so much oh, more going on than terrible. the typical, you know, just selling to a third party or even just selling to your staff or, you know, employees and stuff like that, because it's just. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. yeah, because you are uh, at that point, you have a. Um, like you said, an individual agenda. Mm-hmm. And that individual agenda doesn't even have to do with how well the business does. Right. Now you've really lost focus. Right. And that, uh, and that just happens all the time. Yeah, all, all the time. time. That's yeah. why there are specialists in family businesses. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Is, there any, is, there, is there any one particular um, or two um, that, that, I didn't pull, that we didn't touch on uh, and talk about that you wanted to make sure that we, we got out there to the listeners today? 
Well, the only thing we didn't touch on is de-risking. I mean, we said it kind of at the beginning, but uh, I can't stress enough that um, not as a tax savings thing, except that it is a tax savings thing. You know, I have people like the the first example I gave where I ended up saving so much money, Mm -hmm. but they were already in their 60s. And when I explained to them what we could do by, you know, converting the entity, by setting up the mega retirement plan and all the other things, they, like many other people, have sat there at my conference table looking at each other, and I'm like, oh, everybody's upset. Why is everyone upset? And they go, why didn't we know this five years ago? Why didn't we know this 10 years ago? Yeah. We have spent millions to the yeah. IRS that we didn't have to spend, yeah. or we haven't had a buy-sell agreement to be careful and take care of ourselves right. like we should have. Right. So just that. Just that you need to know where you are on things before you need to know them. Yeah. Talk to an advisor now, not tomorrow, now. Now. (laughs) One last question. What are you currently reading? What am I currently reading? Mm That's a funny thing. Um, I am reading a book on how to write books. So I'm also writing a novel. Okay. And so I'm reading a book on how to write the best um, selling fiction novel. Oh, that's cool. That's fascinating. (laughs) I know. I think that's fascinating. That's a very good book. (laughs) Cool. That's good. Excellent. Excellent. Do, Do you remember the name of it? If it's, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, if you do, great. If you don't, that's fine. It's I, really I called How to Write a Best-Selling Novel. Oh, okay. uh, there's probably a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. It's okay. I rarely um, remember, you know, unless it's something easy, like 50 Ways to Leave Your Business or 10X uh, <laughs> or Scaling Up. You know, these are the Walking to Destiny. Those are probably the, the books that I remember the actual titles to. Um, yeah, and I, I have trouble remembering authors too. Oh, I'm too, yeah, oh yeah. Unless yeah. it's somebody that yeah I'm familiar with, it's it's very hard. So that's that's okay. It's okay. It's all good. Okay. It's all good. Well, thank you, Sandra, for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. This was very very valuable information. And again, fifty ways to leave your business. The link is going to be in the episode notes. Okay. So um, you you can definitely just, you know, we'll make it easy for you. Go to link, get the book, read it. It's going to be one that you're going to want to make sure that you have at hand very easily as you continue to grow your business and look towards the future. So as always, thank you for joining me again today. Uh, This is Christine with Mastering Your Exit Strategy. See you next week. Thanks, Christine. Thank you. Bye-bye.